We are being told to choose between the left and right brain, between studying art and engineering, between creative and analytical thinking. Our society tells us that art and business are not connected. But what if society is wrong? What if it misleading us? The good news is that understanding what art is can bring us to a new revelation. Art does matter in innovation, technology and entrepreneurship. And with the help of this podcast and its guests, you as well will learn that art is not an object. Art is a mindset. You are listening to the Artian Podcast with me, Nir Hindi. Hey podcast listeners and thank you again for joining us at the Artian Podcast. And today we are recording from Google for Startups Tel Aviv Studio. And today we have with us Shimon Adaf, a good friend of me and the Artian team. Shimon, welcome. Uh, hi. Can you introduce yourself shortly to our listeners? Well, let's see. What's the most important detail of my life? I'm a writer. I was born in Zdorot, which is a small town in the south of Israel. Um, my parents came from Morocco, which is, uh, I think, an important fact in my biography. And I, uh, I started by publishing... Po- I started writing poetry when I was 16 and went on writing poetry and published my first collection of poems uh, when I was like 23 or 24. Uh, and since then, I published... Uh, 11 novels and three collections of poetry and one uh, one book of essays. Um, and I teach at Ben-Gurion University in the uh, writing track. In some of the books, you started to speak about the number of books that you published, but many of your books are actually defined kind of a science fiction. I, I, I wouldn't call it science fiction per se, but a speculative fiction. So shall I ask what attracts you in science fiction or in yeah, speculative yeah, I, fiction? First, I like science fiction. I, when I was growing up, I read a lot of science fiction alongside with poetry, which was when I was a child, I come from a religious uh, background, so I studied lots of religious texts. And when I wanted to be free of the religious texts, uh, that's what I would read, science fiction and poetry. So, so I, I can tell you something about what draws me in science fiction or what drew me in science fiction. But I think that some of the things that I do right now with science fiction structures and themes and, uh, and way of thinking is a little bit different from the, the thing that I used to read I was, as, uh, as I was growing up. So as a reader, for me, science fiction is first a way to put a philosophical question into a narrative turning a philosophical question into a narrative, you create a world in which philosophical question is the reality itself. And you try to engage with this reality. And there is um, many means to create a world that is basically, basically, uh, yeah, no, no, it's basically a question about life. When I was growing up, I was starting to ask questions about my beliefs, about being religious, about... uh, you know, when you're a religious person, then you spend lots of time thinking about how the world is built. You know, it's not, it's not like that you are, have this kind of science, scientific knowledge or technological knowledge. You are told certain stories about how the world came to be. And much of the discussions is about the will of God, about how do you understand fate, how do you understand existence. And, and for me, f- philosophy was kind of, um, I don't know if it was a replacement, but it was, um, I would say, intellectual way of 
engaging these questions or tackling these issues without tackling issues of faith. Understand? Do I really believe it became just you know academic in a way that mm. what does it mean uh, to have free will? You know, do you have free will or everything is predetermined? It's a major philosophical question, but when you live in a religious surrounding, then the question becomes a question about God, about the existence of God and what God wants from you. But when you ask it in kind of a secular environment, then the question becomes kind of academic, it's become speculative. Uh, so for me, it was the, the draw of philosophy was very strong, and I was starting to, but I couldn't read philosophy. I, I tried to read um, I, I remember Plato, um, other philosophers, and it was very hard for me because you have to go, you have to have a training in order to understand the real nuances in philosophy. But when you take it and you turn it into a narrative, and the characters are really, they are the, uh, through the characters you experience the questions, then it's, it's much easier to tackle. So that's why I started reading science fiction, and there were like, many writers that I really, really liked and kind of pose questions and, and enables me to, to explore issues that were kind of detached from my life. And you mentioned those uh, that science fiction, you know, it was some of the literature you used to read, but I, I would assume that reading and writing obviously yeah, it's is different. very different. Very different. And I'm interested because for me, at least speculative uh, fiction or science fiction often deals with the future. Yeah. And, As humans, we are always caught to what we know. While mm-hmm. when you write a story that happens in maybe different dimensions, in different realities, you actually need to, I wouldn't say forget everything you know, but be able to go outside of what you yeah. know in order to put yourself in this environment. And it's interesting for me to try to understand how you actually do it, how you actually go to, the, to a, a place that maybe none of us have been before as humans. In order to write what you yeah. want to write so first I, I don't think that uh, that's first it, it this is like the uh, first major major difference between speculative fiction and science fiction as, as kind of a genre because science fiction tends to deal with with the future and speculative fiction has this kind of uh, dealing with the future but it's just part of all its way of working because speculative fiction also deals with With alternative it's not just the future it could be a parallel uh, reality in which it's you have like the same history but something changed in history and you are able to see your uh, present in a different way but yes it it has to enables you to rethink what you know about your own reality and it has to um, to make you rethink your basic assumptions. What you know about life, what you assume that you know about life and how you act. But I want to make it more specific in, in a way that um, first about about writing, which is kind of different from uh, being a reader because when you write, let me start at the beginning, you know like uh, so let's, let's, let's talk about how science fiction enables you to build worlds and, and we talk, we spoke about it a lot of time and I will re, I, I just kind of going to uh, just mention things that have been spoken f- yeah with winners I mean, but it's the not, listeners yeah, are not okay. our okay. conversation that, that in science fiction there are really two major modes of producing another reality the first one is alternative which is not the alternative that I'm talking about in in uh, speculative fiction and I'll get to that alternative it said that let's take one of the assumptions 
that we, we, we take for granted and change it. And let's see what would happen. And I, I think the, uh, the most, the example that comes to mind, uh, like the, it, it's a thought experiment. Like thought experiment that Ursula Le Guin did in Left Hand of Darkness, in which she said, okay, we are used to having male and female, and let's think about a world in which male and female are only for a very short period in which that they have to mate. And you, can, you begin as um, a genderless creature. And you go through your life without having a gender. And when comes the time that you want to mate or bring children to the world, then you get assigned a gender. You become either male or female. And you can change throughout your life. You have the experience of male and the experience of female. What a world would, what, what we would think about gender in this reality. And then you go through this thought experience. And when you go, get out of this and you go back to your life and you say, well, maybe gender is not such an important thing, even though it's very important and, it, and, and it's something that changes your life. It's like, you know, Freud said that anatomy is fate. You are born with a certain anatomy, then it's your fate in, in the world. And Ursula Gwen says, no, let's not think about this as fate. Let's think about this as choice. You know, what's interesting is that it go back to what we, what some of the conversation we had in the past and that actually we see that the young generation started to refer gender as something that exactly. the art or the culture actually perceived many, many years yeah, ago. Yeah, but in a way, science, what, what the, this thought experience enables you to do, because it's kind of, it's a fiction, then you have this alibi of fiction, it's re, it precedes theory. In a way, it frees you. Yeah, like it frees you. And so, okay, okay, let's think about it. You know, even things that you uh, physicists talk about as like, what would happen if this world was merely a simulation? How would you know the difference between a simulation and reality? And for the us, the matrix. It's like, yeah, even before the matrix, when you read a uh, writer like Philip K. Dick that wrote in the 60s, and he deals with that. And he said, okay, we, have, we only have our senses. And he goes to a very basic philosophical question and say, how do I know what is real? Everything can, could be deceiving. Everything could be fed to me through my senses by, a, I don't know, evil demon. It could be by an evil God that wants me to perceive reality as, as they wish. How do I know that I don't, that I'm not living within a simulation? In addition to everything, although uh, yeah. uh, being occupied with the day-to-day, -day, now to yeah, have all now, those questions. Yeah, but this question kind of change your hierarchies in life. You know, what's important, what's not important. Let's say that we know that we live in a simulation, that nothing matters in it. Would we behave differently? Would we have the same morals? Yeah. So you started to speak about alternatives. Yeah, as this alternative. And the other stuff, which is what science fiction started with, is extrapolation, in which that you take trends or uh, discoveries that are being made or you start to show in your own life. And then you say, let's see what the implication would be in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years. And it's a way to trying to predict the, uh, the social and psychological impact of science, scientific discoveries or technological discoveries, in which you say, okay, let's go back to Asimov, for instance. And Asimov says, okay, we have now, we, we start to talk about thinking machines. We, we start to talk about robots. Yeah. How would the future look if we have robots for actually will have robots doing the stuff 
that humans used to do? What, what will we change in our life? And then the, after, after Asimov, there was another wave of writers saying, okay, let's not think about just how it will change our life, our economy, our social structures. Let's think how it will impact our, the perception of humanity. What does it mean to be, to be human when you can, can create an artificial humanoid? So would it change the way that you perceive yourself? So this is extrapolation, that you have this kind of, uh, you see something that's happening right now, and you see, okay, let's think about what would be if it's, it's going to be like this. And some of the predictions that science fiction made were uh, totally bogus. Some of them are yet to come. Some of them we see now, you know, like it's uh, some uh, mind-boggling, the way that people just start to think about what would how would we be as a society if we had certain changes made to us? So, yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking and it's kind of, a, again, I reflect on some of the conversation we made. And, you know, if I take it to my world, it's kind of this extrapolation. It's maybe what I will call incremental innovation is that how we improve or how we take what we have today and make it maybe better or different in implications. And as we spoke in the past, I think the you mentioned at least the best example for it is what's happening in Black Mirror, the TV show that shows the existence of the current technology and where yeah. they might go. Um, it's a good example and a bad example as well. It's a good example because they do a very good work in trying to underline or underscore the, uh, the major technological changes that are happening to us and then ask what would be the impact in five years, ten years, what we can see about. It's, it's as a mechanism, it's perfect. But their own perception about technology is grim to start with. So they believe that technology only, it's pessimistic. And we have this kind of a strange thing that we are very pessimistic about technology all the time, even though technology improves our life. And we have some, in some parts, it's uh, yeah. corrupt our life, like social media and everything. It yeah. corrupts our life. In other aspects of our life, it improves our life. You don't see many writers really exploring the way that technology can improve our life. Like the is, goodness, if Yeah, you know, if like, 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 it, uh, like uh, you have a better medical technology right now so you don't you don't even like if if you want to take let's talk about gene editing okay we have it it's a it's a, it's a biological now, procedure yeah. like like crispr it's a medical procedure you, you can eradicate certain defects yeah. you know like um inherited defects in your own body like rewrite uh, the genes that uh, that that produce uh, the sickle cell or or even cure diabetes and you don't see any writers say, let's talk about society in which we don't have diabetes because we have this technology of gene editing, how we change it with gender. People would say, what will go wrong? You know, <laughs> this is the way that we think. Not what will get better, what will go wrong if nobody has diabetes. So you think we need more artists that will tell us what can go right? Yeah, yeah. To be I, I, I to think, put optimistic? Yeah, I, yeah I th- no, I think, I think that we need more artists that can deal with complex situations, not just good or bad. Not just pessimistic or optimistic, it's not utopian or dystopian. That people that want to dive into the complexity of life because things go, are going to change, and we are going to change as human beings. But it's going to be very, very hard to defer between right and wrong. And I think that's what literature is supposed to be—to ask this question: How we would know what what is good for us and what bad for us? Not just it's going to be bad or it's going to be good. 
We always uh, speak about the future and the society we are uh, occupied with the future, what will happen in the future, how the future uh, would look like, etc. But in our conversation, you actually uh, mentioned that one cannot understand the future if she cannot understand the present. Yeah. What, what do you past, mean? Or the past, even. First, the concept of future is kind of, it's, it's misleading. You know, we talk about many, many people that are uh, considered to be futuristic, there are people just look at the, at the present all the time in a way, and then they say, okay, it's not that's what's going to be in like uh, 20 years. It's what's happening right now in, in, in the present and how changes are starting. You see a bad of changes. You see, you see the changes badding. You see them happening. But you also cannot understand, of course, what's going to be without looking back at the past because as humans, we tend to, to work in, um, in patterns. We turn back to find modes of behaving in the past in order to, to understand how we're going to be in the future. And many examples are from, like, like I, I don't really like the uh, Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Okay. But when she was asked about how she, she thought about this kind of society, and she said, I, I didn't invent anything. I just looked back and saw things that happened in the past mm. and just thought what would happen if they were go, going to come back. We shouldn't think about time as linear. It moves in circles and it moves in, um, in waves. So if someone is listening is, and want to try to understand the present, what they we, should we do? We cannot understand really the present without trying to, to look back and see what changed and look right now and see what's, what's really changing. You have, to, you have to get attuned to things that are happening right now because you, you, the human mind can invent a lot of stuff and, I, and, and I'm all about inventing. That's why I think I'm more speculative writer than, than a science fiction writer in, in, in my core because I'm interested sometimes in allegories and not just in metaphors, like science as a metaphor, technology as a metaphor, and not really in, uh, in a predictive way. You say that this is the technology, that's what's go- going to happen. It's what kind of consciousness it represents for me, the technology or the scientific uh, discovery and because you can invent, you can go to wild places. But if you want to, to understand what's going to come, then you have to be attuned to what's happening right now. So what helps you to do this process? First, I, uh, I'm very attuned to things that irritate me. What well, irritates you? Social networks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's funny what you say because, you know, I'm also kind of exploring what other artists are doing. And in 2012, there was one artist called name uh, Ben Grosser, I think. And what he claims is that we are so obsessed with how many likes we are getting on photos that it's actually ruined our experience with the social network. So oh, what, he, okay. what he did, he developed a matricate or something like that, actually removed the likes, so you cannot see it. So you just basically use the social network to upload what mm-hmm. you want, not to get the likes, but what you want to express. And, and, and many people join this social network because so, I think, okay, sorry. So, no, no. So what's interesting is that for seven years he was doing it. And today, yeah. Facebook, Twitter, to Instagram, mm-hmm. already experimenting with okay. that. So it's kind of helped me, to, it kind of reinforce I, my thinking about no, how artists predict yeah. maybe where yeah. culture might go. Or maybe they have this kind of, uh, they understand that their own irritation or their own um, uh, anxiety with things that are happening, it's not just 
it's not just because they are who they are, but it, it's kind of a social force that's really happening, and they're just able to sense it. Like when you, when you, like for for instance, in um, one of my books, it it was supposed to happen in this year. Into just it's, and and then like twenty nineteen, it's like it was um, a generation, this generation. They are so fed up with the way that images are forced upon them through the social network that they start to they, they develop their own filters in which they, they can uh, just use the social network only to communicate with people they like or the people that they are know in person. And they have this kind of new codes and new taboos. Like you cannot call without notifying first that you're going to call. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I explored it because I feel that what I see it's that... Uh, first, you have this freedom in which you can connect with everybody and you can follow anyone. But then the fear starts and you feel like you are overfl- you, you are you are being um, sometimes invaded by other people's consciousness and you feel very afraid. And I think it has to do with the way that with the rise of um, racist groups and, and nationalistic group, it has to do with, with this fear of being invaded by either consciousness that you don't want in your vicinity. And you cannot protect yourself when you are in, in you know, this exposed. And, and I think that it's not just what irritates you, but also what, what instills this kind of awe in you. And you see something and you are amazed. And it's some, and and, it's, and you say wow, and and I think as a culture we are very, we become deaf to the sense of oh. So what oh you or what? Like when I first like and uh, when it was like five or six years when when I heard about uh, CRISPR. Yeah, I maybe we mentioned a bit uh, what okay, CRISPR. Okay, I mean, CRISPR. Uh, I, I think it's it's it's, it's it's very it's very known. It's it's a technique for gene editing. It is a technique that usually um, it's kind of a kit that you can buy today on the internet. Uh, I, I, you can you you can do it in at home, but it's what what happened? It's uh, several uh, biologists discovered that uh, uh, bacteria can use this kind of scissors, like genetic scissors, in order to cut uh, part of the DNA of viruses in order to protect themselves, and and they have this. They are very precise. So it's very, they, they just replicate it and enable themselves to do this, that you can take any, any part of, of a gene and cut the part that you don't want and you can paste other parts. It's kind of, it's become a very widespread technique to uh, what we call uh, genetic engineering. Which you is know, it's hand. interesting because uh, there is Israeli producer, I don't know if you heard, but they just did a movie on Netflix uh, for oh. biohacking. Okay. And they, they actually located people in the US that work with CRISPR to actually re-engineer their own DNA. Okay. Yeah, yeah I can, I, that's also put in all kind. Yeah, and it says, wow, it's going to change everything I know. And, and it poses so much questions because we had this kind of notion of genetic engineering but now that it's going to be so widespread and you can start see, um, you can, it's, it's, it's become a reality and say, okay, let's think about where well, it can, it can lead me. So it will be a topic in your new next book? Um, it, it was a topic in one of my book, but it, I, I use it as kind of a metaphor, a metaphor of the, uh, of our need to control everything in our environment and the places that it can get us. One of the things that at least I like about the way you you write, and later we maybe we would be better to also mention some of the books that you have in English, maybe in, oh, okay. in, in Spanish. 
or other languages, but you often kind of create unique experience to the readers. Mm-hmm. And again, I often hear people talking about experience, experience and user experience, etc. But the way you do your, the way you write your books, there is always kind of mixed realities and imagination. To your figures, there is a symbol, there is existence in reality. Um, one of your books, if I recall, the main character had a blog and you managed the blog before the book was published, yeah. right? So you started to write the blog under the name of this character for a few, uh, I don't know, months mm, or years. It year. was al- almost a year, yeah. And another book, after knowing you uh, uh, for a few years, and I read one of your books, so in one of the books, again, a character named Ophir talks about a playlist. And knowing you, I knew that this playlist is, is actually exists. So first of all, thank you for sharing with me this playlist. Uh, but I think the highlight of this, maybe at least for me, this uh, way of working is the new CD or album that you just launched. Or maybe I shouldn't say you, but actually Dalia Shushan, okay. yeah. the main figure in your uh, detective uh, series or mm. trilogy. Yeah. And I have the CD with me here and also it's available on Spotify. We'll put the links to the, to the Spotify uh, playlist on the website. And you actually invited some of the well-known singers in Israel and you actually published a whole album with the name of Dalia Shushan as the, the main writer and Ophir, the same guy as, not Ophir, no, the, 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 the one that... Uh, compose the music yeah no it's um, um, it's l- let's start from the the yeah. history of uh, okay why yeah. you do it first okay, of all for, it's uh, interesting to understand okay. why you create okay. this mixed reality between I mean reality and imagination because first my project is trying to expand your sense of reality it's not because usually when when you when you read realism then you understand that the rules that apply in in in, in the novel, It's the rules that apply to your to you your know, life yeah. that's it's it is an assumption that i'm 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 not sure that it's uh it's 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 correct you know there is a a very famous uh, science fiction writer Samuel Delaney, which I really really like, and he says that let's do this experiment, but maybe I'm digressing maybe i'll I'll talk about the anecdote of uh of um uh because it it will take me to another place I'm going, I'm in, instead of answering your questions but what we have what will happen when we have this kind of assumption about what's our experience in reality then sometimes we cut out things that they are they're not fitting in this this scheme that we have of reality you know sometimes we have experience that kind of transcend transcend what we know about life because we don't really know anything about life we know about certain things you know we know about how uh physics work in in the quantum realm and we know how physics work in like in uh in huge scales like uh general relativity relativity we assume that we know we know certain things about biology but when you have this kind of uh a complete picture of our existence and sometimes things happens in the same between what we know about biology and what we know about physics what we know about um, chemistry and what we know about in, in in like in cognitive sciences so things things that they are kind of uh, they, they they crawl through the, through the, the intersection in the intersections and 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 it, it creates unique experience that we usually uh We, we we just put aside we just we just write it off because it doesn't it doesn't we don't understand what's happening to us 
And for me, literature is trying to stay at this kind of places where things are not defined and expand your the ability of your consciousness to to perceive them, to understand them as phenomena in in your own life. And I do it in 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 certain in certain I use certain technique. One technique is to see where you can kind of um, take reality and stretch it, stretch it, stretch it. Till it becomes something foreign to you, which that you said, no, I'm already in science fiction. Something that happened to me in, in several books that I really, I talk about kind of cutting edge uh, techniques in, in, science, in, in science, or I talk about real person that doing really fringe things right now in technology, and people thought I, I invented this. Mm. And then they it said, was so crazy that people and it, thought and it sounds so crazy that people and, there, and and then a novel of mine came out and he talked about Martin Rothblatt, which is now very known. is a very it's kind of a fringe uh, in technology. It, it does fringe things. And then this book is start as a very um, it's a novel that called the the wedding gifts. It start as a very realistic novel. And then it moved this kind of talking about Martin Rothblatt is doing. And then it moves into what he's doing maybe okay just he, in one he's, do, he's, he's, he's doing some um, some of his stuff is trying to create um, uh, artificial intelligent uh, duplicate of his wife uh, being a 48 and he's trying to he has this project that called Terrasam in which that the people are enabled to map their own consciousness and uh, archive it so in in the future it can be used as kind of a model for the for recreating the own con- consciousness in another body this kind of sounds like science fiction stuff yeah and he's doing it it's it's now so so there is this and on this kind of and, and I say okay what would happen if this technology would be uh, widespread? What, what would happen to you? And then it becomes kind of science fictiony. So it's kind of, it moves from... Everyone very, can copy, uh, create their own or map their own uh, consciousness. Or, or the, you have already creatures that, that humans that, um, and, and it's called, uh, they, they call, they're kind of, it's, it's a Hebrew name. A Hebrew for human is Enosh. And for these creatures, it's Enoshan. It's people that mm. are, they are kind of, they are not, they are not naturally born humans, the humans that map its part of the consciousness that was mapped and inserted in an, an artificial body. Mm. So they, they live among us. And sometimes you don't know the difference between people that, that they are just part of people that used to live and they have this, this restricted consciousness. Yeah, it sounds like future. <laughs> yeah, so 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 let's say, and then and then it's moved to a very wild future, you know, kind of sign or kind of a space, crazy space opera. And, and it's gradual. And what happened that people started to think that the science fiction part start with this this guy that's called this this person because now he's a woman, uh, he, he was born as a male as now is 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 he did this um, um, uh, gender assignment uh, reassignment um, um, operation so now now he identify as a woman, and this this woman it's kind of and it's start, the science fiction started there, and then. Two months after the book was published, there was um, in in a local uh, newspaper in Israel, which is a major lo- local newspaper. It's called Arts. There was a big um, article about this person, and I started getting this kind this kind of reaction, saying, "Oh, we thought that this this was invented. We thought that it was totally invented." 
And they say, well, well, the the uh, the line between experience and invention is very very thin in our our our. It's kind of reinforce what you say about understanding the present. Exactly, and you and you see how how it's become this kind of fictitious. But and then you you understand that your own reality is kind of fabricated all the time. It's just made by the things that you know. And the things that you know are going to change, they can change in an instant. So this one way to stretch it. The other way is try to mix, to put things that were their total invention in your own life and face you with, with the fact that some of the entities that we, that we communicate with are invented entities. You know, let's say that you're like in, in, when you are in Facebook, How do you know the people that you meet are real? You don't. You don't have any indication. They could be a construct. They could be, some of them could be already artificial intelligences. You don't really know what's, what's going on. Say, so, okay, let's take, I'm not trying to deceive anyone. I'm taking this uh, singer-songwriter, Dalia Shushan. I gave her history. She, she has impact of other people's life in my books. Let's see what happens. And, and, and her songs, they are already woven through my, 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 my uh, detective trilogy that I wrote. Excellent one. I love Thank it. Thank you. And I hope uh, you will continue it, even though you... Yeah, I'm not going to continue it, but it's going to be published in English, uh, I don't know, next year, or maybe okay. the first... So note, stay tuned, uh, and the, the, we the, will the publish... First, the, the first volume, I think, it's going to be... It's already translated. But what will happen that this singer-songwriter and say, okay, we have already the songs. Let's take artists. It, she, she was supposed to, uh, to be active during the 1990s in Israel. Let's take artists that already were her, um, they, they were contemporaries. Yeah. Like they could have worked with her, they could have known her. And let's take other artists that could have been influenced by her. They can hear in the music something that is close, close to what I imagined her music would be and let, her perform, let them perform her own music. whole songs and make an album of, of a writer of a singer songwriter that never never has been but she is she is very very present yeah yeah I love that I mean and, and uh, when you hear and, and you hear and say okay is it real experience of a real person or is it because you have you have people performing and and for them it's real you know like you let's take uh Uh, sing like singer songwriters in Israel like that perform her, her songs like uh, for them it's a real song they, they, but yeah, you they say okay but there, there, there is no real it. person that it, it tells a story but it's not a real person that it's not an experience of a real person but it's a real it's real enough for you maybe to identify with so it's kind of um, it's blurs the line between what you think yeah. is real it's real and what is not real and again the, the most important thing for me is that I'm not trying to deceive anyone I'm saying this singer songwriter is a character in my book is a character in my books it's not somebody that I know I love it I have to admit that you know that there is kind of reality to the figures in your yeah. in your books at least yeah, some yeah. some part of reality and You know I'm, I'm also we also kind of uh, go back and you started to speak about it in the in the beginning about this ability of artists to pose questions and I know it might sound like a big question but I'm interested what is the role of artists in your opinion Besides, the, uh, I think, one thing okay. you mentioned is to pose okay. a question, I, I think there are many many roles I, I don't I, I cannot 
there are certain things that I cannot imagine, or when I try to imagine them, um, my, my imagination fails. And for one of the things that I cannot imagine is a human society without artists. It's not because I'm an artist and I'm very afraid that there would be there 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 are not going to be any need in artists anymore in in, in a hyper technological or um, a society, because and I think that art in a whole the way that um, we are not going to get rid of religion, they they have they have many many functions that we don't really see them. And as an, as an artist, you have to choose what functions do you feel most convenient about. Or, and for me, it's posing questions. For me, it's trying to produce an alternative to things that I see or trying to explore things that are not explored yet. Art can give you solace. It can entertain you. It can, uh, it can make you, it can strength, strengthen the, uh, your existence. It gives you sometimes certainty but art can do the on the opposite things. It can break down your world. It can um, undermine your existence. It can bring you pain. So I'm on the, this other side. <laughs> on the opposite. Uh, every time I'm speaking with you, I'm learning something, something new. Um, it's it's always amazed me. And you know, it's kind of uh, maybe I'll go. I don't know if it's a matter of questions, but. I think it's also kind of a go back to what we spoke about conceptualizing futuristic ideas. I always say the entrepreneurship world, the technology world, the business world need to look to what artists are doing because artists for me are always at the forefront of what we know and what we don't know. And they're always, you give them the newest technology and for them it's still not enough. It's still just the basic of what they need and what they want. And last May, we actually had a very nice, in May 2019 at least, we had a very nice uh, event together in Mexico where we spoke about why innovation can come from art and then you spoke about how science fiction actually conceptualized some of the most popular i would say technologies of today but they conceptualize it in the 40s 50s and 60s and i'm interested to kind of maybe to explore with you this first what is what did what allows them to actually to conceptualize those technologies in the 40s and 50s maybe even give one or two examples to these uh, uh, technologies i I think the the most uh, known examples are you know one of them is very known it um, um it's Arthur C. Clarke, that kind of, uh, he really predicted the need to put a ring of satellites around uh, the Earth in order to have uh, in- instant communication globally. What we know now as uh, GPS or satellite system, he, he really he said, okay, uh, sometimes I think that his uh, um, thought process why was... Why, why is it that we are confined by this kind of locality in our communication? What would, be, what would enable me to talk with someone on the other side of, of the earth? What blocks it? And then he, he has, what's, it's, it's an engineering problem, really. So it started to think about how we, you would engineer something that would kind of bypass the difficulties of communication. But I think you have like three questions. The, the first question is, what stops me from having this experience. The other one is what I can do with it. 
You know, you, you get something, what can I do with it? You know, it's not just what, what it's supposed to, what you're supposed to do with it. You say, what, what can I do with it? And the third question is, what if? What if it, things were different? I think when you start to think through these three big questions, you, you get to wonderful places. I, I think the other example, which, is a, which I think is very um, actual right now, is, is the thought about cyborgs. You know, about, yeah. and it started with uh, with a writer that's called Cord Weiner Smith, and he he wrote he published I think is um is is a short story in in in, in the end of the uh, 1940s, and the story was a thought experience. What what would if we go to space? And there were already science fiction was already talked about, talked about space travels. And we know that we have this kind of uh, radiation in space that the human body cannot stand. Well, what instead of, um, of trying to find a way to block the radiation, we're going to change the human body, mechanize it, so it could withstand this radiation. What, what changes would it, we need to do? And he started talking about mechanized people. They are enabled to change, to do this uh, kind of uh, technological changes to their body and go through this uh, transformation in order to withstand the emptiness of space. And just in the 60s, two scientists published a very important um, article about the same subject, and they went through this same thought process. Instead of, uh, of changing the environment, let's change the people that go to space. And they coined the term cyborg, which is uh, cyber, cybernetic organic. And now we talk about cyborgs are kind of they are becoming reality. We want to implant in ourselves all these kind yeah. of improvements uh, that enable a cybernetics improvements that will a- enable us to live better life. Yeah, in, in Barcelona, there is actually um, a group of artists. They are all cyborgs and they do live surgeries in Instagram, installing technologies into their ears and hands and, and bodies. And it's so interesting for me because always we speak about what will happen when we can install technology while you have artists that are doing it today. But in, in a way, you're already doing it without knowing. Yeah. Let's, let's say that you have your smartphone. And they started talking about the way that, um, that computers changes your own memory because you have this external storage yeah. in which that you... And it, the, the, the uh, distance between having external storage that you rely on to keep your numbers, your pictures, your parts of your memory, and, and just putting an extension of memory to just just wiring it to your own brain it's very the distance is very short yeah i wonder how many people actually remember numbers today yeah i think nobody 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 remembers yeah you know it's i don't know it's kind of interesting also to to ask you because obviously you are very knowledgeable about many things i'm interested also to ask you if you study in tel aviv in the interdisciplinary program and one of our speakers liad segal did the same i always say that we actually need to mix disciplines and not separate them. And I wonder how this experience studying in interdisciplinary degree that you can actually choose from science and art and psychology and philosophy influence you. There's a discussion going on about in the academy about the importance of disciplines and about the, the, um, about the world becoming interdisciplinary and how the academy can meet. Because... There is, we need experts also. 
not just we need artists we need experts and experts usually have this kind they have to be monomanic in a way that they are very obsessed to one certain subject and to explore as many nuances but they, they can they can discover about it I'm not sure that I want to to have all I don't know biology researchers right now become a, a interdisciplinary <laughs> it's very important that they, they would they would be you they know, know what they are doing. They would part part of uh, of the researchers that really expert in one gene you know they know exactly the expression of the gene the the mutations of the gene but what happened in interdisciplinary I think that we have this class of Of people that they are in their nature they think not they're not they are not they, their thought is not just how I would say it it's it's more vertical you know not not vertical um horizontal horizontal in way that they can spread and they and they move with associate association and analogies and and it kind of ignites certain parts of their brain you know that usually are not connected they see one thing there and they understand something about that and they have to have also this kind of of training and and for them the in, in disciplinary program it's i think the best way to and for me it was like kind of a lunar park you know i could i i was interested in math so i went and 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 did some math classes i would i was interested in in computer sciences so i i i took some classes in computer sciences and i was interested in in philosophy so i took courses in philosophy and I could do my kind of uh, had my own program and I was able to to write my own curriculum and I could in a way create my own way of thinking through this this kind of uh, program and I think it's it's a very it's a very good program for artists because artists don't really know what they should know you know if if you want to be a quantum physicist or I don't know, you want to do uh, organic chemistry. There are certain things that you have to know, and you know that you have to know them. But when you, when you are an artist, the first question is, what do I need to know in order to make art? And there is no, no place that really train you to be. You can, you can be trained to be a conceptual artist. You can get, you, even, even like when you go to art school, you have certain disciplines that decide for you what's what's being an artist is but being an artist is being deeply engaged with with life and human experience and nobody really uh, trains you for that I wonder if it also fits to invent those I think right. as well because sometimes discipline is also a metaphor the way I think like like the way that you think in maths about the world it's not the way that you think in uh, linguistic. About the world there 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 it is kind of uh some of them the it's the knowledge overlaps, but when you start to think about like when you think about math as language there there's a different sets of questions that you have when you think about math as kind of representing abstract entities it's it's completely different, and when you think about i don't know literature through computer sciences, then you think about literature in in a whole different way. And, and I think that this kind of mental flexi flex flexibility that you enable to to apply some form of thinking some structure of thinking some uh, cognitive structure of one discipline on another there there is was creativity is bursting that's yeah. where it's come from so you know now you are not not only that you finished this uh, program obviously now you are uh, the head of creative writing at Ben Gurion University in Beersheva 
my wonder, and it go back to some of the conversation we had, is that how you actually push your students to, I don't want to be cliche and say think different, but go out so outside of their comfort zone in order to explore what they already, what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So, so there are many forms to do it. First, I think my most important tool is the world. In Hebrew, it's called Tzarich. And for me, the most important remark I can, I can, I can put on, 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 on text when I get it, or the first, the first like, uh, my first reaction is, do you need it? So when you underline a sentence and you ask the student, do you need it? And then I think something changed, that you understand that not everything that you write down, you really need it. And you start to understand why you need certain things and why you don't need certain things. And the other one, you have to, I give them assignment that make them think differently about what their own uh, disposition as writers. Like, for instance, like in poetry, I tell them try to take one experience and describe it in a lexicon that for you is the most opposite of this experience. Like take, uh, for instance... Um, uh, Mention this uh, example that yeah, I love yeah, about yeah. shawarma and faith. Yeah. I, and, th- I think it's, okay. it's amazing. Okay, for so, me so, at least. so I gave, I gave this, this assignment in, in, in poetry class and one of the students, she wrote a poem in which she described her own uh, struggle with faith through the metaphor of shawarma, which is like the meat going around the, uh, in, in, uh, in the grill and being burned by the uh, by the, by the heaters, so it's it's a beautiful. It's kind of changed the way you think about fate suddenly. Yeah, and 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 like and 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 the experience of fate become very carnal. It's the pun is intended, but but and, and you say okay, let's let's do this. Or I like to talk with them about uh, what's called in literature defamiliarization. Defamiliarization. It's 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 a term that was coined by the. Russian formalist in the beginning of the 20th century, in which they said that things become too known to us. They are too familiar. And we have to think about technique in order to make things strange again, to make them... To, to bring to, back maybe this sense of to think, wonder. Yeah, exactly. Oh, to rethink, exactly, rethink them, why they are, why, what they mean for us. And, and then, you know, we can start with a very simple assignment in which... Try to describe human activity through the lens or the uh, perspective of, of an animal or, for, or an object. And you start to say, okay, let's think about... Usually the, the, um, the, our tendency is to take the animal and, and kind of project our humanity. And all the animals that we describe, usually they, are, they, they perceive the world as we perceive it. You know? And I said, no, let's think and think about how their knowledge is being derived from their own experience. Like, for instance, one of my students, also she wrote about, she was trying to adopt the perspective of a staircase. Staircase? So staircase. Okay. And trying to describe their life in a building through the, the point of view of a staircase. Okay. And then you say, okay, it's very, it, uh, let's, let's see. How, how does it experience humans? So staircase, what? It, it's true weight, the way that they step. True, whether they they uh, they 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 litter or don't litter? Do they make it make it dirty or not dirty? Do they come to what what kind of shoes they wear? You know, <laughs> if if the shoes are, are dirty or not dirty when they come from outside, 
is the is the garbage is leaking like the garbage is leaking so it's not to, to you have to to start and uh, categorize people by the way they behave in relation to the suitcase so the story that she wrote was of um, someone who is overweight in the building that the suitcase really hates because she applies much pressure to <laughs> and he, he doesn't like when she when she when she climbs it <laughs> And 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 it is his her struggle to lose weight through the way that and the secretary is, is kind of is it, it doesn't have any empathy for this woman because she start to uh, exercise you know just run and he really grunts and say oh yeah and I thought you're going to lose weight very more, much more click, quickly <laughs> and then you see this kind of this this situation in which you see like people trying through body image you know to get to lose weight and then no it's it's kind of a completely uh, different point of view which you know it's funny because um, I saw a documentary like a few years ago uh, you know we are so familiar now with the star architecture that we see all this fancy building. And one person did a documentary about those one villa that was in Bordeaux from the eyes of the cleaning lady. Okay. And what she needs yeah. to deal with exactly. when you have all these fancy yeah. buildings. So it's very interesting yeah, yeah, perspective. The that, yeah, the things that you don't really think about them. And when you start to change perspectives and you get very adept as in, in changing perspective, it really expands the way you think about the world and it enables you to be creative, you know, because you don't think about like the world being uh, focused on you and you see it from, from like three or four different perspectives, you get a very interesting picture. Empathy in empathy. a way, in, uh, trying yeah, empathy, to understand yeah, the world yeah. from, yeah. You know, you're very uh, active in the recent years, even though yeah. every time we speak, you tell me, that's it, I'm not writing books any, anymore. And then yeah. you publish every year a yeah, book. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going to stop publishing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wonder where does it come from, this need to actually write? Because obviously it's a very tough process. And I'm, I admire you. I don't know how you do it. But in the last few years, you published a book every yeah. year. Yeah. First, it's a, it's a personal thing that I... My writing is part of my identity and it's part of my self-maintenance in a way that it's, um, when I write, I feel better. I'm, I feel more, more whole, I feel more human, parts of me that usually are uh, put to sleep in everyday life, they, they became, become aware. I'm more, more open to the world, I'm, I'm a nicer person in the whole, and I sleep better, which is important. And um, so I need it. The thing about publishing is that I got used to it and I got used to the fact that publication of a book is a way to end the process because afterwards it's going to go on and go on and go on and when you put, you just put a stop. It becomes a book and it's become an object and is not part of you anymore. But, and, but I have to say that when I write, I'm in a state of delirium. So I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm really obsessed with, with what I'm writing at, at the time and the only thing that I can do is write. So I write very quickly and very in intensively. And uh, so every year I have another book. That's it. It's amazing. And you have some books in English, in, in other S languages? S S some of them were translated. Uh, one of my novels, uh, Sanborn Faces, were translated to English. And um, poetry books. It's, 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 it's kind of funny that... My poetry is more translated than my uh, my fiction, so uh, 
My third collection of poetry came out in English just now. It's called Aviva No, and it pub- was published also in, uh, in Spanish. It came out in Spanish. Two of my book, my poetry uh, books came out in Spanish, Aviva No, and uh, another book that's called That Which I Taught Shadow is a Real Body. Mm, what else? One book in France, one, one book in Italy. And you have the, the uh, speculative fiction coming up. Yeah, the detective trilogy is coming out. Which I love. Thanks. It's, com- <laughs> it's coming out in, uh, in the US. And, uh, and it starts as a detective fiction, but it becomes very wild. It, like the third volume is going strange places. Yes. yes. Ah, it's different from the Hebrew one. No, no, ah. no, it's... Ah, okay, okay, okay. You know, the first one is kind of a traditional detective, and then the second one is, uh, it's called, uh, it's a meta-detective, because the detective in the first novel becomes a writer of detective mysteries. Yeah. And he deals with the questions of writing Elish. about... Yeah, Elish, yes. And in the third novel, he becomes the mystery itself. It's an anti-detective novel. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we are, we are friends for many, many years, and I, you obviously have your own world of, uh, of uh, science and art and technology, and I'm all the time in the world of entrepreneurship. And I wonder, from your perspective, what are the similarities you might see between entrepreneurship and, and art, or maybe entrepreneurs and artists? First, I, was con- I, I got convinced by you because I, was, I had a very... Um, uh, at first, when, when, when you told me about it, my reaction was kind of, I was taken aback. And I said, no, 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 there is no, no connection. You know? <laughs> uh, and, uh, entrepreneurs are people that are trying to make money and art deals with, uh, with, with, with the freedom of spirit, with, with breaking, um, with breaking uh, rules, with breaking uh, borders, with, you know, <laughs> with thinking outside of, the, of this material world in a way. But, but I can see similarities, um, you know, through to our acquaintance. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to see, first, the question of crea- creativity, the fact that you start, you get something, and you think about not just improving it, but using it in a, in a different way that it was intended to. What we talk about, about what can I do with it? And I think these three questions, I think that uh, entrepreneurs all, already think through them. With the first question, what stops me f- from, from having something? How can I yeah. overcome? Then what can I do with it? Not what it's intended to, to, to do. What can I do with it? And the third question, what if? What we have a technology that could, I don't know, could, uh, why we are stuck in traffic? You know, how can we bypass it? I have a technology that enables to have, to interchange information about what happened with traffic right now. And I think, oh, why do we need to drive by ourselves? You know, this question of can machine do it better? You know, it's what if we had machines that can do it better? So I think it's like the, these three questions for me, it's, it's, the, same, it's the same framework of, of, uh, of mental activity. Nice. So I have, I'm, I'm happy at least I managed to make you look different on yeah, entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's a good thing that you make uh, entrepreneurs look different uh, on artists. Yeah. Shimon, I honestly, I can think, I feel personally I can continue for another two hours with you. I have so many questions <laughs> yeah. I want to, but let's, let's stop. I here. want to ask you, yeah. um, but maybe the next step will be to have our own show together. So maybe, yeah. <laughs> 
I want to say thank you for for joining us and sharing all your fascinating, fascinating uh, way of thinking. And um, I can just hope that you won't get tired of writing books. I'm 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 not I'm I'm not going to get tired of writing, but maybe I'm going to get tired of publishing. So don't please don't. Oh, okay. I think the world needs you. Okay, I'm so, not so sure. But thanks. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. It is already two months since we launched our podcast and we are hoping you enjoy it and more importantly, you learn about the artistic mindset. This was our last episode before the summer break. Meanwhile, we are working on the upcoming episodes. You should enjoy the summer, have fun, meet friends and family and more importantly, stay safe and stay healthy. We will wait for you here on Thursday, September 3rd. We are producing our podcast without any ads and we are relaying on our community's direct support. People like you, our listeners. So if you find it valuable, I will be super grateful if you could spread the word by leaving a rating and maybe a review. It will take you just 30 seconds to do so and it is very helpful in getting these ideas to a wider audience. If you are interested to develop your artistic mindset, if you are looking to grow your business, if you want to develop the innovation competencies in your organizations, I will highly recommend you to check our workshops and trainings, all available on our website. This episode was recorded from Google for Startups Creator Studio in Tel Aviv. Check out Google for Startups website to learn more about their support for entrepreneurs. The episode was mixed and mastered by Daniel Duran. You can subscribe to the Artian podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our previous shows are available on our website, www.deartian.com slash podcast. Each episode includes show notes, guest recommendations, videos, and other materials. We can also be found on our LinkedIn page, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us directly via email at podcast at theartian.com. So I will be waiting here for you in the next episode with me, Nir Hindi. <laughs>